Well, it's great to be here worshiping with you this morning, and uh, good to be celebrating in a couple of different ways, and we're in the middle of a series called Across the Ages, Across the Ages, and uh, we're walking through the book of 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3, and uh, really just so we get the lay of the land here very clearly, right, it's the truth of what it is to be a church on fire delivered up in the early chapters of 2 Corinthians is true even today. It's true across the ages. And man, there are believers who have been worshiping Christ from 2,000 years ago up till today in varieties of ways. In fact, we've even decided during our worship sets on Sunday mornings right now during this series, we're bringing some old school hymns and some older uh, choruses and just trying to mix together the songs across the ages as well. And uh, may we make much of Jesus Christ as we worship and we celebrate. And uh, and all of God's people said, and hear me, we are not alone in our worship. And generation after generation after generation has rallied before Jesus Christ. And the truth of what they're rallying on and who they're rallying to is delivered up right here in Scripture. And so 2 Corinthians 1 through 3, that's what we're walking through. We're in the third week here this week, and uh, last week Pastor Kent walked through the end of chapter 1, and uh, we're just going to pick up two verses there at the end and move forward. I appreciate Pastor Kent, did a great job delivering that passage up and pulling out the truth of God's word there. And uh, myself and Pastor Steve McGinnis, we were down in Haiti last week, and so Pastor Kent brought the word here well, and appreciate that. By the way, Haiti is going extremely well. It was uh, very cool to be down there, and uh, Tiffany came down with Steve, and my daughter uh, Alyssa came down as well, and and, uh, we did a little bit of celebrating down there, and uh, you know, a certificate given to a pastor graduating down there is like, I don't know what it's like. It is a massive gift. They were so, so happy to have some people come down and make much of their graduating from the training school and being ready to be planting pastors down there in Haiti. Their uh, core teams are already going really well, 40 to 50 people in all the groups, and they're getting ready to launch probably in 2018 somewhere, and uh, so keep praying for them, all right? And uh, man, I'm telling you, they're going to be doing the same thing there that we're doing here, just in a different language, right? And they're going after it and making much of Jesus Christ. We don't worship alone or in a silo. And it's not just here in the U.S. It's around the globe and across the ages, all the same plan. And so today, we're going to be looking into what it looks like for me to handle myself in the midst of some misunderstandings. And last week, Pastor Kent was looking a little bit at misunderstanding and some of the guidances to that church and how to handle things. And we're also going to look now at how we should personally be handling it. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 23. 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 23. And uh, the first point, live to please your God, not the people around you. Live to please your God, not the people around you. Man, make sure that you are not first and foremost a people pleaser, but you are first and foremost a God pleaser. What does my God want? May I glorify him in all that I do, right? That's what we need to be going after. So here we go. This is actually starting in verse 23, picking up from where uh, we ended last week. And so it has a lot of the same topic to it. Here we go. But I call to God to witness 
against me. And uh, that word against there could also be translated for me. Both of those work there. And what he's really saying is, look, I've been telling you some truth. The reality is I I meant to come to you and it just wasn't going to work out and there were some things I made some decisions on. In fact, today in the passage, he's going to give a little bit of understanding as to what it was that he was thinking as why he didn't go when he was going to. And and, um, there were some things that changed with schedule, but more than that, there were some things that changed with the church itself. And he's like, may God be my witness. See, that's the nicer way to say it, right? When we say, may God witness against me, he's really saying, I'm telling you if I'm lying, may the holiness of God Almighty come down on me. And that's a big deal statement. We're supposed to hear him saying, I am not toying around with this. He said, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. It was to spare you. And uh, see, the first time Paul went, he had to bring a little bit of heat. And then he had to write a letter, 1 Corinthians, and he had to bring more heat. And he's like, you guys, knock it off. Like, this is what you're doing, and it needs to change. And he was getting very forthright with what needed to change in their lives as a church. And Paul brought it. He brought it big. He brought truth. He brought reality. And he's like, really, honestly, I I wanted to spare you from having that kind of experience again. Not that we lord it over your faith. It's not like every time I turn around, I'm trying to press down on you. But we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Our purpose is your joy. That's what Paul's saying. Our purpose is your joy. And really, I didn't want to come back down and have to point out a list of things going wrong. We're going to look at a little bit of that in point number two and what he did do instead, okay? He didn't just say, so never mind. I really didn't want to come be... uh, hard on you, so I just decided not to bring up the truth at all. Everybody say, not that. Not that. We'll actually see what he did in the second point, okay? But he's like, boy, I really didn't want to come down and just have to be a tough guy to you again. And uh, your joy matters to me. And I long to see you be able to stand firm in your faith, which, by the way, when you have joy, you stand firm. And when you're lacking joy, it gets hard to stand firm. Right? And so the call out here is make sure that you've got a joy in your walk and make sure you can stand firm in it. You know, Johann Sebastian Bach, we've heard the name before, Bach, uh, great composer. When he uh, wrote each of his pieces of artwork, when he composed the music, he would actually start by writing JJ on the top of the paper. That was the first thing that was written on the piece of composed artwork, JJ. It meant, Yesu Yuva, Jesus help me. Like his whole goal was, I long to see my God glorified. It didn't say, may a bunch of people think I'm really cool. Like that's not what it said. It said, Lord help me. May this be for your glory. That's how he started it. And then when he got done composing that piece of art, When he got done at the end, he wrote down, Sola Dea Gratia. Sola Dea Gratia. And it literally means, to God alone be praise. He basically said, hear me, Jesus help me, I want you glorified. And then at the end of it, he ends it with, may God alone get all the glory for this. Like, I don't want this glory, I'm handing it over to my God. 
Man, what a great model for how to live life. Each and every day you walk in this world, you are composing an artwork. Did you know that? You're like, I don't know, man. I don't really feel like that. Uh, I kind of feel like nobody knows I exist and I don't really have that many talents. And I'm telling you, God has designed you with very specific goals in mind. And each day that you live is actually a composed artwork. Are you waking up and putting the JJ on the front of it? Lord Jesus, help me. And then you live your day for him. And at the end of it, you're like, for you alone is the glory, God. And that's a great starting and closing prayer to each day. To wake up and say, Lord Jesus, help me. May this be for your glory. And to end it with, man, God, may that be all for your glory. And uh, what a sweet, sweet reminder of our walk. May your walk be about joy and a strong faith and a composed artwork for your God. And it isn't just about lording it over other people and getting attention. It is about God glorified. And all of God's people said, and make sure you live to please your God, not the people around you, okay? Your audience is God Almighty. All right, point number two. Be true to your God. Love those around you and be willing to share a tough word only when needed. Be true to your God. Love those around you and be willing to share a tough word only when needed. Here we go. He starts out, he says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. I made up my mind. Like I had decided deep within my soul, yeah, I'm not going to make another painful visit. That word painful literally means to have brought grief or struggle to be challenging them in a way where they're feeling a sense of hurt and they're needing to make a decision about it. That's what he's talking about. He challenged them with a number of things that needed to change in their life. And he's like, I decided not to make another painful visit to you. Have you ever had one of those situations in your life where you've got a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, and they need to hear that this thing needs to change? It's not just a one-off that they did wrong. Not just one-time event. This is like a repeated thing. And you're like, oh, we got to have that talk. And then you end up having the talk. And it doesn't go exactly well. They're not receiving it with the best warmth. And they're getting a little upset with, and then you may even get something back like, oh, like you're so perfect, right? And then you have to have this, no, I'm not saying that. I just, I want to let you know I care about you. And Right? And so Paul already had that conversation. Have you been there? So now you've had it, and now you're needing a second one. And you're like, oh, good. Can't wait to go over and see them this week. That's going to be really exciting to try to figure out if I'm going to say a tough word or if I'm going to back off the tough word, or maybe you're the other person. You're like, oh, great. I know I'm not in a good spot, and they're coming over. And by biblical rights, they should be challenging me on a few things that I need to get out of. Here we go. Right? That's the relationship that was going on. There was a little bit that was sideways and some challenging that needed to happen. And Paul's like, so I decided not to have another painful visit. Have you been there? Like, I'm not going to do it. But look what he did do. It says, for if I cause you pain, 
who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? He's like, man, we're partners in this. And if I go in and every time you see me, it's just always pain, man, we're not really getting anything accomplished. And so my goal isn't every time you see me, I always have a tough word. Is that you with somebody you know? Be careful. It's not every time I see them, I'm going to have to tell them exactly where I stand with all of the... I'd be cautious with that. Remember, we're a partnership and there's supposed to be a joy that's brought into each other's lives as we laugh together and, and at times cry together. And, and man, if you're the person who's wrestling with the thing and you know they've already brought it up to you once or twice, ask yourself why you're continuing to maintain and hold on to it when you know it's wrong. Maybe it's time to let that go. And uh, he says after the partnership statement, and so I wrote to you as I did. I wrote to you. He was like, you know what? I'm not going to go visit. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to send them a letter. Now think about back then. I'm not exactly sure how letters went down back then, but I'm pretty sure you didn't just write down an address and put a little stamp on it and go down to a blue box somewhere and drop it in. And somebody magically came along and picked it up and took it right to the destination for you, right? This meant a long journey. There was some things that had to happen. Usually they got their own postman involved, right? Like often he'd use Timothy or somebody like that. And he'd hand him the written letter and say, take it to them, go find them. And so often the letters were written to whole churches and that kind of thing. And, and uh, man, he wrote a letter. And, uh, have you been there? You're like, oh, I, I don't want to have this face-to-face -face moment. Or maybe you're on the other side and you're like, oh, I'd rather not have them here and have that face-to-face -face moment, right? And so you do something like writing a letter. Nowadays, we've got a lot of other options, right? You could even do a text if it's something smaller, you know? And you're like, hey, just praying for you, bro. Hope things are going well. Send. Woo, that was a lot easier, right? And we're like, I, I don't know if I really want to have the face-to-face. -face. Maybe I'll do the text thing or, all right, all right, it's a little heavier than the text. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I'll write an email. Right, I'll, I'll write it up, I'll make it a little bit short and direct, and, but, but have a lot of laughter things in it, and I'll send that along, right? Or maybe you're the kind where you're like, I'll emojicon the snot out of the thing, right? <laughs> and, and we'll go that way with it, or, right? And, and so there's the, the text or the email, or, or maybe you decide, no, it really does need a phone call at least. And so I text him, and I'm like, hey, you got a little bit to talk, right? You got a little bit of time? And all of a sudden, you get that text, right? You got, got a little time to talk? Uh, right? Uh, sure. About three weeks from Thursday. Right? And uh, like, I don't know if I really want to take this call. And you end up having that phone call. Or maybe you're like, no, it really even needs more than that. You up the ante again. FaceTime. It'll be like a phone call, but I can see your face. So as I say it, I see you grimace or smile or cry or whatever, right? And, and, uh, or maybe you're like, no, this just requires face-to-face. -face. I got to do it. Hey, man, it doesn't always mean that every time you're face-to-face, -face, you always have to bring the thing up, but you're also not walking away from the truth. And all of God's people said, see, that was a really small amen. And all of God's people said, and are you there? Where you're willing to so love someone else that you're going to stand in the gap with them. And maybe it'll be face-to-face, -face, and maybe it'll be a text, and maybe it'll be by letter, and maybe it'll be a phone call, and maybe, 
Lord, just help me know what the right way to go about this is. I want to love on them, right? And uh, Paul's like, so I, I wrote you as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. He's like, remember, we're partners in this thing. And if every time I see you, I'm having to challenge you and you're getting a little upset and there's a grief that's caused and it's a bit bent and we have to kind of work it out. And man, I'm not having a joyous time and you're not having a joyous time. And that's just not where we need to be. And so I thought, uh, I'll write the letter instead and we'll see where we're at with it. He says, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. He's like, I'm just telling you, I am confident that God is working a good work in you. And I can't wait to see that come down. And uh, just so you know, this challenge that came down, we actually see it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and he tells us all about the fact that there was repentance. We'll talk a little bit about that in the third point. And uh, there was actual uh, turning in the midst of it. And so that's a part of the reason why Paul is backing some things down. They're getting what needs to change. Man, I hope you're hearing this from me. It is a reality that we do need to put out a challenge to those we love. It isn't really love if it doesn't contain the truth in the midst of it. And yet if all we are is truth, well, that's not love either. And don't just run around trying to bash and hit and usually that's where we're trying to lift up ourselves and make much of us. But we really are caring deeply for them. He says, For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. That's the motive and the heart behind the challenge. Notice what he did not say. For I was ticked off at you I was sick of hearing that once again you were in it, and I had had enough. Everybody say, not that. See, it wasn't about, I can't take anymore, you bother me so much. It's not that. It's, I'm hurting for you so much. I'm longing for you. I have an anguishing and a heartache for you. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in you. Man, there's a love motivating it, not just a, I'm fed up with. And uh, that is a super important moment for us to grasp that God knows what he's doing. And Lord, may we share the truth gently and carefully and with an anguish of heart. He said, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And I'm telling you, I care about you. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He's in charge of all the churches and he's one of the planters. And he could have a ton to say. And he's like, I'm just telling you my heart breaks for what you're going through. And I long to see God do a work in you. And I can't wait to see this healing happen. And I, I wrote to you with tears running down my face because I'm seeing the pain you're in. May God do an amazing work. And please hear me. Love... True love will always have truth as a part of it, okay? And America wants to sell something very opposite. See, America is selling this. True love is let them do whatever they want to do. True love is just give them room, man. Be quiet. 
Let them be whatever they want to be. They're being true to themselves. Have you heard that phrase before? Being true to yourself. And just so you know, we are to be true to Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said. And true to self is not where it's at. And scripture's super clear about what that looks like. And may we be passionate and hungry to live for him. Man, are you steeped in a sin that is wrecking your life? It is time to set it down. Not out of judgment am I saying that. We love you. And we long for you to taste the joy that God has for you. Man, get close to him. Set down the self and get ready to go after it. And if you know somebody very close to you that's running a train wreck life, man, it's time to lean in gently. Everybody say gently. Patiently. Everybody say patiently. But leaning in with truth. Everybody say with truth. That's what it looks like. I love you like crazy. Can we talk about this a little bit? And uh, walking down that path together in whatever way that goes. You know, this past week, uh, my daughter Megan had surgery. For those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, you heard that. Uh, Megan ended up uh, destroying her knee in a weird accident and uh, getting a, uh, well, she blew her ACL. So the ACL was blown out. The meniscus was a mess. And uh, so they went in to fix it on Monday. And so they went in and the meniscus was repairable. They actually sewed together the meniscus. I'm not even sure how that works. We'll just leave it at they sewed together the meniscus. How does it hold that thread and not tear apart itself? But anyway, they sewed it together and it's now holding the meniscuses together. And then they went in and the ACL was just gone, man, just blown out. So they ended up taking the tendon off the front of the knee, the patella tendon. They cut it in half. And they took bone from either side and they screw it into the lower part of the leg and come around the back and screw it into the top part of the leg. She now has a remade ACL, right? Can you imagine how that feels, right? You come home the end of that day and you're like, yo, that's not a fun trip, right? And uh, praise God that they got it repaired. She's excited about being able to get up and get moving again and be able to run and do some rock climbing, those kinds of things. But, but I'm telling you, it's not a fun first week. And uh, so they gave us some meds. You know, Percocet is an amazing gift from God, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's a <laughs> so she was on Percocet for a while. That's a fun ride, too, watching your kid on Percocet. And uh, chattery, you give it to her, boom, out cold, right? And out for about three hours and then sort of wakes up. And then one of the other things is you got to keep it iced. And so there's this new invention called a cryo cuff, you know, like cryogenics. So it's got kind of this ice water pumping through it all the time, and you wrap this thing around, and it's got a, like a, a Coleman jug, so to speak. You put ice in it, and it's kind of always pushing the cold water through. And so we had that set up for her, and it was you know, going for about two or three days. And, um, and then we found out we had it set up wrong. So the Percocet was doing its job. But really, there wasn't a whole lot of cold water going through it. There was a little bit, but not a lot of it going through it. And so we found out that we had to set it up differently. Uh, altitude matters for the bucket. And so we had to raise it up. And that started filling up this cryo cuff with cold water. She actually went for like two or three days with very little ice, but a lot of Percocet, you know. And, uh, 
And in the end, this thing, we lifted it up and it starts pouring the cold water into it and starts running around. And she's like, oh, I really feel that. That feels great. And it's amazing how much cold water really helps the cryo cuff work. <laughs> so when it's just a piece of plastic wrapped around her leg and a little bit of water in it, it ain't doing very much, right? And when that thing is really pumping the cold water through, it works so well. And I'm telling you, just like the cryo cuff needs the cold water to get its job done, so your relationship of love with your friend needs truth running through it as well for it to be a healthy, true friendship. And that is super important. Don't set up a friendship that has no truth in it. It is all just a feel-good run. Everybody say, that's a bad plan. Man, may you love your friend. May you love your family member. And that will involve times where truth is shared out super humbly, super gently. You care for them. And all of God's people said, so who? Who is it that God is calling you to maybe up the ante a little bit on that truth front with? Now, hear me, I'm not talking about kicking down a door and hurting people because you're mean. Not that at all. But who is it where you need to be sharing a little bit of the reality of life so that they're grasping what God is calling them to? Who is it? I'm not talking about some problem where you've only seen it one time, right? This isn't the I'm so easily annoyed that I just always tell everyone what I think, right? Not that. This is actually an ongoing problem where you know it needs to be dealt with. The words we use a lot uh, around staff is harmful and habitual, right? If you're seeing it ongoing and it is harmful, we do speak into who? Got it? Got the name? Now how? Is it a text? Is it an email? Is it a phone call? Is it a getting together face-to-face? I mean, a lot of that depends on how grave the situation is. And please, the more delicate the situation, the more you need to be face-to-face. Just so you understand, 7% of communication is words. Seven. Did you know that? Like 60-some percent is body language. That's why FaceTime helps so much. 60-some percent is body language. Make sure you're spending the time face-to-face if it's at all delicate and care. Maybe you're on the other side of that fence and you know there's a thing you need to let go of and you even know there's somebody that's been pressing you about it. Maybe it's time for you to just say these words, God, I'm done with that sin. I'm turning from it. And my first step is to say to you, God, thank you. I'm amazed. Please forgive me. And my second step is to tell that person who's been challenging me, thank you. I want you to know I'm hearing you. It needs to change, and I'm going to go after that now. Please be praying for me. I'm telling you, you'll put them in tears. Go after it. Get real on it. And may God be glorified in it. And it isn't fun for us to deal with sin. It's not fun for us to deal with our own sin. It's not fun for us to deal with other people's sin. But God does call us in this broken world to be real with each other. And all of God's people said, okay, gentle but truthful. 
Fair? Okay. Number three, forgive. Forgive others, willing to show your love and compassion to those who hurt you. Forgive others, willing to show your love and compassion to those who hurt you. And uh, he starts out, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. He's like, look, if there's been some pain caused, if there's been some bad decisions made, some sin going on, you're train wrecking your life, there's people who have to lean in, there's a frustration going on, there's a grief, we'll use that word, there's a godly sorrow going on. Just so you know, Paul's saying, look, it's not me that's getting hurt here, you guys. It's you as a church having to walk through that. It's you as a family having to deal with that. It's you and your friendship crew having to go through that. That's the hard part. And it really is, as Paul said here, not to put it too severely, it's a grief to all of you. And it isn't on me. Be careful with that, you guys. And uh, there was some level of them saying, man, we're really ticking Paul off. And Paul's like, nuh-uh, you're carrying the load, not me, okay? He says, for such a one, this punishment, literally the word punishment there means verbal challenge, this coming alongside and suggesting to them what needs to change, that's what it actually means, to come alongside and say, this really does need to be looked at, and uh, this punishment, if you want to use that English word, by the majority is enough. Have you ever had multiple people telling you, you need to get that thing fixed? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had multiple people voting and saying, yeah, 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 that does need to be looked at? And uh, if you're like, no, not really, I'm like, really? Never in your family have you had a statement like, you know, you're getting a little bent right now, your anger's a bit out of control, and can you bring it down? You're yelling. You're like, I'm not yelling. And then they're like, yeah, you are. And like three different people are telling you, yes, you are. Bring it down. And you're like, okay, fine. Maybe I am yelling, but here's why, right? Isn't that what we do? Like, I don't want to hear you. Now I'm going to give my justification. And I'm telling you, our family units and our friendship units often run in this mode where when it does get bad enough, usually there's several people that will finally say, dude, are you okay? What's going on? And uh, Man, you're the fourth person who said that to me today. <laughs> Maybe we should look at that, right? And, uh, okay. He says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So, you could rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. See, hear me on this. He literally has repented. We know that actually from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 8. This person has turned, has repented, is sorrowful. And the people are like, dude, get working on that. Come on, man. You're going to crush yourself and you're crushing us. And there's a point where it's like, fine. I I'm done with it. I repent. I'm over with it. And he's like, release him. Forgive. Where there is repentance, there needs to be forgiveness. And uh, just so you know, this word forgive here is actually the word that means live in a grace-based way. So there are four different Greek words for the word forgive in the English. 
four different Greek words, and all of them come to the same English word. So it's a little bit messy, all right? And we're going to talk this through in just a second. I want to get a little clarity on it first here. He says, forgive and comfort him. Man, release the debt. Live in a grace-based way. Long for him to be right with God and see the comfort come that he might not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. He says, so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Just so you know, forgiving is reaffirming love. When there's been a moment in the house and somebody's raised their voice, being able to say the words, will you please forgive me for raising my voice? Please be very specific when you apologize. Not, hey, I'm sorry. That doesn't get it done. Everybody say that doesn't get it done. Not, okay, I'm sorry. It's not that. It's, will you please forgive me for raising my voice when I got upset 10 minutes ago? Super specific. I know that I cut into you, right? That kind of thing. Will you please forgive me? And then the answer back is not. Yeah, sure. Right? It's not, none of those, right? It's not, uh, you know you're forgiven. You don't have to ask. Not that. It's, I forgive you. I forgive you. There is a restoring of the relationship that happens there that you cannot explain. And while there is a humbling that goes on, Yes, it needs to happen. Man, work on forgiving and apologizing well, okay? It goes a long way in your relationships. He's like, I'm just telling you, it is actually reaffirming your love for him. For this is why I wrote you. Remember the letter that he wrote? This is why I wrote you. Now, just so you know, some will say that 1 Corinthians is the letter he's talking about, and I don't think that's true. And uh, partly because he talks about another visit coming after, and there's probably a third letter that got written, and we just haven't seen that. So there's 1 Corinthians, then there's the lost letter, and now we have 2 Corinthians, all right? So there's probably actually three different letters, and he's like, so I wrote this letter that I might um, test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. He's like, I'm writing the letter to see how you're doing, and if things get hotter, I'll know how to handle it, and then we can figure out how to work that situation out. And if it goes well in the letter, then great, then we're making progress, and praise God for that. And so that was the point of his letter. I'm trying to see how well you're doing. Where are you? Are you good? That's where he was at. And uh, man, getting the majority involved in our sin, that is not a fun thought, right? In fact, we know most of the time when we sin, we try to hide it and uh, secrecy. Church discipline is all about trying to work together as a majority to love one another carefully and gently. And I'll just say these two, words, these two sentences about it. Church discipline that does not seek to restore, it's abuse. Church discipline that's not seeking to restore. Man, if your whole goal is hurt them and get them out and I don't care that they've repented and I don't want to see them restored to this body, I'm going to just press down. Church discipline that does not seek to restore, that's just outright abuse, okay? The goal of coming alongside and challenging someone is to see them restored into the body in full. And then the second sentence, church discipline that does not seek to call out sin, Well, that's just enablement. Church discipline that doesn't call out sin, we're just enabling, right? 
And so here we are running around just saying get right with us as a group or something, but we're not really ever bringing out sin in any way. And on the other side, all we ever do is bring it out and we want to hurt them. Neither of those is where it's at. It's get it right, get it clear, get it gentle, and watch God do a work. Okay? That is the hope that we have. He then says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. And uh, this phrase here, this wording, the forgive, it's in the Greek, it means to live in a grace-based way. And so what does forgive mean? Let's just throw up this slide. And uh, here's a little bit of forgiveness, all right? So here's a lesson, forgiveness. It actually has three parts. And so on the far, far, your far left at the top, see the word bitter, right? So we start out, we've been hurt, and we're keeping it all to ourselves, And we're like, I can't believe he did that to me. And I'm going to hurt him for doing that to me, right? Bitter. I'm not going to let him get away with And so we're looking inside and we're unwilling. That's bitter. There's no transition that will take place until that top piece. You give it to God. Like, Lord, I'm handing this to you. I'm trusting in you. You are the God who came to this earth and died for me. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, he came while we were still in sin. And these people have wronged you. So let's do a Christ move. Lord, I'm handing this to you. I long for this to be released. That's moving into that middle phrase, forgiving. That's the word that means live in a grace-based way. You see it in Ephesians. You see it in Colossians. It's actually all over in Scripture. It means to be willing and longing to see this restored. Some call it the attitude of forgiveness. You get there by first going vertical. I'm giving it to my God. That moves me from bitter to willing, forgiving. I have the ongoing ING. I long to see this restored. May this take place. And so you see it saying there, I'm looking to Christ. I'm vertical and I'm willing and I'm hopeful. Man, that's where we need to get and get there fast. And you're camping in the willing, the forgiving mode until they're willing to come to you. And that last one, it says, and they repent. Now they're coming to you and saying, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Now it's horizontal, and that final piece takes place. Luke 17, 3 and 4 actually uses a different word for forgiveness there. It uses a word that means transaction complete. It's different than living in a grace-based way. It's like, it's done. It's over. And so when something happens where someone wrongs us, we can choose one of three states to be living in. Bitter. Oh, no, you didn't do that to me. Right? Bitter. Or we go, Lord, I'm handing this to you. Christ, give me the understanding of you on the cross. You forgave me and you came to this earth and died for me while I was still sinning against you. Lord, I stand against you and you die for me. Help me understand that love. I'm giving this to you. Teach me to have a forgiving heart. I am willing to see restoration. How do you know you've made the transition? Well, when somebody says to you, Hey, will you please forgive me? And you say, I'm going to need a minute. You've been in bitter land, right? And when they come to you and they say, hey, will you please forgive me? And you're like, absolutely, I forgive you. You're in forgiving land, all right? And so your choice is twofold, bitter or forgiving. Which one are you going to stand in on the hurt that came to you? Bitter or forgiving? 
Lord Jesus, I'm handing this to you and I worship you and I thank you for who you are. May your gospel rock my world and may I hand this problem to you. If they come, Lord, I want to get this right. And by the way, that does mean you're going to probably need to let them know I've been hurt. And they very well may say, yeah, well, too bad. Right? And now you've got a bigger, now it's like another hurt. Now you're like, okay, I'm back to bitter. Right? I can't believe they just said that. That's the end of it. Now I really am bitter. That's it. Like, not that, right? Everybody say, not that. It's bitter moves to, Lord, you've got it. I'm forgiving. I'm willing. I'm longing. Hey, man, this really didn't go down well. This hurt me this way. And I, can we talk about that? No. I don't want to talk to you. The guy walks away. Lord Jesus, I am still handing this to you. And whatever happens, happens. I long to see this restored. But true restoration comes when they've finally repented. I am wrong. Please forgive me. Now it's fully restored, a reaffirming of the love. And by the way, that is where the trust starts to get to be rebuilt. Once you're into forgive then, transaction complete. Does this make sense? Make sure you get it, man. Forgiveness, it's not just one word. It's a three-step process. And you've got to move yourself from bitter to forgiving by going into worship mode. And then you're longing to see it get right horizontally with them where you can get it resolved. But if you can get to forgiving, praise God for that. And you camp there, man, and you don't get out of it. And you get to forgive in when they come across. And by the way, I've had some people ask this. You know, there's somebody that hurt me very badly when I was younger, and then they've passed away. And I haven't been able to resolve it. What do I do? You move out of bitter into forgiving you're worshiping your God and you're living there. It has your heart fully willing and fully resolved and worshiping Christ. I'm telling you, you are restored and resolved with Christ and now you're just longing for an eternity, whatever happens there for the resolution. It doesn't leave you. If you create just the two camps, bitter and forgiven, dude, that's a tough world to live in. Right? I couldn't talk to them. They wouldn't. Do you see the power they have over you? They wouldn't say, I, please forgive me. So I have to remain bitter. <laughs> Do you see that? That's a really bad model. It's not just two parts. It's three. And your job is to move from bitter to forgiving. And you're camping there and longing there. You are willing and hopeful. You are coming gently and carefully. And you're longing for God to see this restored. And if they do repent, there can be a full restoration forgiveness, okay? And that's how it walks out. That's a big deal. Some of you might be in a spot where you're in a deeply tough relational circumstance. Man, if you want to talk things through with a pastor, with your small group leaders, feel free to bring that up. We would love to help you walk through that. This can be complex sometimes, but there's three basic steps. And make sure you get through it, okay? All right. Enough said. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven uh, anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. I worship Jesus Christ. He's like, just so you know, I moved from bitter to forgiving. I put it into this grace-based living. Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for my sins. He has risen from the dead. He came and demonstrated it while I was a sinner. And for him... I will live in a grace-based way. And I'm laying that out before you, right? Paul's saying, I'm laying that out before you that Christ might get the glory. Huge deal. 
and a major benefit to the church at Corinth as well. He says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Satan's goal is to tear you down. Satan's goal is to destroy you, to disrupt you. His goal is to create divisiveness. That's a lot of D words, and he's doing all of them. And don't let him have it. And as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Live in a forgiving way, and if they repent, forgive then way. And all of God's people said, Satan all of a sudden gets the power taken out of him. It says, for we are not ignorant of his designs. You know, like a roaring lion, Satan goes about seeking whom he might devour. Like a roaring lion. He is evil. He is hateful. He is divisive. May we never let Satan get the upper hand. And it's going to go like this, man. Come on. You know you shouldn't be treated that way. How dare they? And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, how dare they? Remember, focused on me gets bitterness. How about this? Yes, but what I have done to Christ is that much and more. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. And may I be willing to forgive any who have wronged me. I am willing. I am willing May you get all the glory. And all of God's people said, and relationships, they're not easy, but God's given us some pretty clear direction. What do you need to go after for your forgiveness to be on fire for Jesus Christ? Who do you need to get that right with? What circumstance do you need to lay before Christ Maybe even what challenge do you need to bring to the person? Maybe they don't even know you're hurt. Make sure you get it clear and make sure you get it clear with your God that he might get the glory. That's how to handle relationships biblically. Let's pray.